Dark Channel presents Noxo The Case Files of Joshua Chambers A crime drama set in the supernatural world of the Dark Charm universe and the havoc in Baltimore, Maryland and beyond. Episode 2 Danse Macabre Maryland. Whoever thought to build a settlement, let alone a city in the midst of a hot, sticky cesspool of swampy filth was a good idea, was an absolute lunatic. Yet, this is my home. It's been my home all my life. Being a police detective is hard in the summertime, and the dress code isn't always the culprit. Bodies decay quicker, blood and tempers run red, and work gets harder for those who try to stop bad things from happening. This is going to be one of those days. Detective Karen Long informed me of a body found in the dilapidated Mount Auburn Cemetery. I arrived at the scene about 20 minutes later. It was hot, sweltering, and the air quality was really poor. As I instantly left my cool, air-conditioned car, I entered what I felt to be a blast furnace. Within seconds, a waterfall of sweat sprang from my brow. My partner, Detective Long, gave me a knowing smile and pointed down at the corpse. <sighs> she seems to have it better than us at the moment, Lieutenant. She can't feel this heat anymore. I gazed up at my partner. That remains to be seen. Give me what you got. Karen peeled through the moist pages to get to the previous work. African-American woman, appearing to be in her late 30s. Bullet wound to the center of her forehead. She has no identification on her, no wallet, no money. I marveled at how well put together the woman was. Is she a prostitute? If that's the case, she's a high-end one. Her teeth are immaculate and she has no blemishes. There are some strange markings once more. Dear God, not another ritual killing. I'm still not over Tyrone children. <laughs> Relax, Josh. These markings are tattoos. Two of them. Uh, one on the high right breast and the other on the left wrist. I bent over to inspect the tattoos. They were easy to see, since the shirt the poor woman was wearing was shredded like she was in a trash compactor. Her skirt, which didn't have much material to begin with, was in strips as well. When the hell happened to her shirt? Freddy fucking Krueger? I said. Shredded. There are no cuts, however, on the body. It, it's the strangest thing. There's only the bullet hole to the head. I stood back up and looked at the positioning of the body. I don't think she was killed here. There's not enough blood where the wound would be in the vicinity. She had to have been killed elsewhere and then moved. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I bent back over and pulled open my kit. My bag of goodies, as I've been calling it as of late. I ran out of Noxo three days ago when I was waiting for the precinct to get a new shipment. Damn. You have any Noxo, I'm out, I asked Karen. Karen pulled a canister out of the back of her black pants and threw it at me. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Glad you turned me on to that stuff. I'd have been in serious trouble coming out of narcotics. I applied the Noxo and dove for my gloves in the bag. The neoprene gloves went on tightly as the sweat pulled every arm here in vengeance for the heat. I winced as I finished pulling them on out of necessity. <laughs> Careful. You still want hair on your hands and arms, right? 
Very cute, Detective. It ain't my fault that we live in a swampland, I muttered to her. I grabbed some gauze and two cotton swabs. I took two samples of dried but fried blood and put them in small medicine beakers. I used the gauze to wipe the residual away from the tattoo. The one on the breast said, BGF. <sighs> Great. Might be Black Gorilla Family. If that's the case, we have a whole new ball of wax. I went to her hands. The other tattoo was just a name, James. It might have been a lover or a child or someone else. Record the name James. We're going to need to know who that is. Next, I focused on her hands themselves. They were blood-stained, and there was a residue underneath her well-manicured nails. Such a shame her nails looked good. I took a pair of tweezers and scraped some residue off into another beaker. Sweat stung my eyes fiercely. I used my arm to wipe it. It was no use. Without a word, Karen wiped my eyes with another pair of gauze. I turned my attention to her. You didn't have to do that, but thanks. Oh, don't mention it. I'm not a fan of having evidence contaminated by sweat. We must have been unnerving the coroner crew because they stared at us like our heads were cut off. My smile disappeared as we went back to work. She was propped up against a gravestone. It had to have been put there fairly recently because it still looked great compared to the others that were fossils of their former selves. I looked at the name on the gravestone. Henry J. Johnson. He was born in 1960 and died three years ago. Why is this an issue? This could just be random body placement. I shook my head. If it was a random body placement, why did they make sure that the name of the person beneath was for all the world to see? I made a note to find in my journal. Once we gathered all the evidence we could find, the coroner did the rest. Forensics would analyze the data and would go from there. Three days later, I walked into the forensics office to see what was going on. The chief forensic specialist, Dr. Guff, pulled me aside. You're starting to get a reputation, Lieutenant Chambers. I thought at first he was just joking about the Childress case, but he pointed to new evidence. What now? From the dental records, we found out the identity of the woman is Daisy Jo Johnson. Daisy Jo Johnson. Who was her father? You like this. One Henry J. Johnson. It didn't surprise me at all. This could have very well been a vengeance killing. Uh, the gravestone she was found at was her father's. Yep, but that's not the strange part. What is the strange part? Dr. Guff looked at the results. He stared back up at me with a grim look on his face. You might want to sit down for this. <sighs> he made me feel as though he was going to tell me I had two weeks to live. Normally he wouldn't go this dramatic. But if he wanted me to sit down, I guess I was going to sit down. He showed me the report on Miss Johnson. I started to read. The body was void of most of its blood before it was found in the cemetery. The bullet hole showed up several hours after the corpse had died. After she died? What killed her then? She bled out at a different location. The bullet hole came in after she was already dead. Continue reading, Lieutenant. I did. The DNA found under her nails was linked to James Underhill. What's so suspicious about that? At least now I think I can pinpoint other parts of the case, Dr. Guff, I said. Okay, well, uh, tell me what you think. The doctor was humoring me. That pissed me off a little. James Underhill is the James on her wrist. Most likely he had ties to Black Gorilla family and this is what got her killed. Dr. Guff pointed at the paperwork. 
James Underhill has been dead for five years. How is it possible that she was able to scratch a man who has been dead since 2014? And what's worse, how is Daisy Jo Johnson even alive to receive this treatment in the first place? Her skin looked immaculate, but as well as her teeth, but her inner organs were not so glamorous. They literally belonged to the body of an 80-year-old. I shook my head in disbelief. So Daisy Jo Johnson was at least 80 years old? I leaned back in the chair and pondered. That means Henry wasn't her father. Henry was her son, I said, thinking out loud. If I believed vampires exist, which I don't, mind you, this shit would definitely make me think twice. I stood up and started pacing the floor. I said, So you mean to tell me that James Underhill, who's been dead for five years, got into an altercation with Daisy Jo Johnson who looked in her 30s but was really in her late 80s. And this ended up with Daisy Joe even more dead in front of Henry Johnson's grave. Daisy takes a bullet to kill her in the forehead, but she was already dead anyway, and now James Underhill, who is supposed to be dead and might actually still be dead, is walking free. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't explain anything, does it? I walked out of the office. I couldn't take it anymore. But the facts were facts. I needed to find out more answers, and I'm pretty sure that this time Tyrone Childress wasn't going to come back to help me get them. I met up with Karen at lunch and told her everything Dr. Guff said to me. She was speechless for the first ten minutes. You okay? You haven't said anything, I said to her. <laughs> and I thought Baltimore had problems before! She laughed. This wasn't a laugh of someone who found hilarity in something crazy or something random. This was the laugh of someone who chose to laugh rather than cry. Frustration came over her face after her laughing fit ceased. Oh, you can't bring in a corpse, Josh. How does that make any goddamn sense? I leaned back in the seat. Maybe that's the problem. It's not supposed to make any damn sense. This city is damned. So what's next in the investigation? We can't very well bring a dead man into the precinct and book them for killing an already dead girl. That's literal dance macabre. Dance... Macabre, I said, noting the irony of the situation in my head. The dance of death. I pulled out a folder and said, As for what's next, this is the last living relative of Daisy Joe and Henry. I think maybe they could give us some answers, if not insight, on what was going on with them. Several hours later, I pulled up to a rundown row home in Westport. This wasn't very far from the graveyard. I sat in the car a good long while, thinking about the whole mess that was this case. I left Karen back at the precinct to take care of some paperwork, but informed her that if I needed her, I would call. Had I stumbled into a crazy world of the unknown? If so, when did this happen? I don't think I saw a white rabbit, and deliberately decided to follow him to a strange new world. It's already hard being a middle-aged detective in Baltimore, Maryland. I didn't even throw the log on the fire. A pit bull barked fiercely as I exited my car and walked to the fence. Seconds later, an old black woman came from inside the house and looked at me strangely. Oh, you were obviously a cop. You were just too fine to be some kind of thug from around here. I noted the Baltimore backhanded compliment, but ignored it. Baltimore Police, Lieutenant Joshua Chambers, Detective Homicide Division. 
I need to speak to Louise Johnson. Her eyes widened. Well, all right then. She moved her attention into the house and yelled inside. Bobby! Come and get Charlie! My grandson's coming to get the dog. I'm Louise Johnson. Since we put the dog away, you can come inside now. It's safe. Bring your ass. Come on. Just from visual analysis, I could tell the poor woman has had a pretty shitty life. Not that it was her fault either, but it happened to her nonetheless. Ten minutes later, I walked into the home. It was a vast difference from the appearance on the outside. She kept this place neat, clean, and well put together. She must have noticed my thoughts. Oh, it sure is easy to keep my outside looking like garbage. It's a form of a theft deterrent, if you will. People walk by, they see that I ain't got nothing outside and looks trashy, and then I got three dead bolts and be a big-ass dog inside. Yeah, you seem to have some answers for life's biggest questions, Mrs. Johnson, I said. She walked me over to a nice plush couch in the living room. She motioned me to have a seat. Now, how might I be in service to you, sir? I took a deep breath, knowing what I was going to tell her and asking her would probably give this woman a heart attack. But I needed answers anyway. <clears throat> Mrs. Johnson, I pulled out a Polaroids that were taken at the scene. Do you know who this woman is? I've never seen a black woman turn white before, but I could swear it, it happened with Mrs. Johnson. That's my sister. But that's impossible. When was this picture taken? A week ago. She was found at the That is impossible. She died in 1977. Henry, he's her son. He only died three years ago. I'm telling you, this is impossible. What you are trying to say to me cannot happen. It is impossible. I pointed to the Polaroids. Are you absolutely sure that this woman in these photos is Daisy Johnson? She looked up at me like I was stupid. I think I would know my own sister if I saw her. I put the photos back in the folder. <clears throat> what do you know of her connections to the Black Gorilla family? She leaned over in the chair and put her hands on her head. Her eyes were shut, as if she were contemplating something. She then looked back up at me as tears strolled down her face. I'll tell you all that I know, but if it comes out that you said to somebody that it was me that told you, I'm certainly a dead woman. And if I'm a dead woman, what's my grandson going to do? I'm the only family he's got left. I sensed the pain from her and reassured her as best I could. You will remain an anonymous source, I promise you. She sighed and sat back in her chair. Daisy met James Underhill and must have been 1975. She was 34, 35, 36, something like that, I think. He ran the BGF after a long stint in the slammer. He was incarcerated. And so the gang had influence over him. And eventually her also when James got out. My mama... God rest her precious soul, warned her repeatedly about him. She told her to leave his sorry ass while she still could, and Daisy wasn't necessarily the most pious of people. She conceived Henry out of wedlock. He was the best. And after her death, Henry come to live with me. That poor boy was 12 years old when she died. James never had any contact with us. He's a deadbeat piece of shit. And from what I heard from people who are close to him, he had an affinity for the occult. This piqued my interest. The occult? What do you mean? He was a devil worshiper or something? 
Underhill was fascinated by voodoo or hoodoo or something. Stories of ghosts, the dead, rituals to bring people back to life and such. He was the closet necromancer in that hood society he was in. It freaked a lot of people out. It especially freaked me out, especially the BGF. So he kept it hidden. But that stuff's bullshit. There's no way that is remotely possible, I said. Then I remembered Tyrone Childress. I remembered the results of the autopsy and the fact that two dead people having a fight also seemed impossible as well. How could something like this be so scientifically proven? She smirked at as if I was a child that didn't know. Oh, child. This is the only thing that seems to make sense now, especially after all those photos you showed me. Anyways, Daisy died in 1977. A couple of years passed. I started to see that piece of shit James in the neighborhood with a woman that looked a hell of a lot like my dead sister. She was flush. She was flush. She didn't walk around like a zombie or anything. Maybe I... Maybe I was just mistaken. But looking back now, it sure do make a lot of sense. Shortly after, I have a Henry coming in my room at night saying to me that he keeps seeing his old mama watching over him at night. Like she's watching him from his window. Lieutenant, his bedroom is on the second floor. You said she died in 1977. Uh, how come we don't have a record of her death on file? The only death certificate is the one we found most recently, and this had Henry marked as her father, not her son. There are people everywhere that can make things look different, or make them disappear. It looks like a cover-up to me. It certainly do. Continue your story, Miss Johnson, I asked, riveted in my seat. Dear God, James died in 2014, and that is just plain the last I've ever saw of him. Henry died soon after, but he said something strange to me while he was on his deathbed. He said, Mama come to see me. She still loves me. I don't know what to make out of that. Other than that, had to be that medication and making him seeing some stuff or something. I don't know. I'm not sure. Daisy had Underhill's DNA under her fingernails before we found her. It was like they found each other, had an argument, and James put a bullet in her head. She closed her eyes. <laughs> Two dead people arguing? That's not like how it is in the movies. Daisy was devoid of blood. She might have been a vampire. Vampire? Would a bullet to the head kill a vampire? I thought that worked on zombies. I shook my head. I don't know anymore. This whole year has been very strange for me. I'm sorry to take up your time, Mrs. Johnson. I stood up to leave, but Mrs. Johnson stopped me. Child, what you gonna do next? Almost on cue, my cell phone went off. I looked at Mrs. Johnson. I'm gonna see what I can find out further. I might give you a call if I need anything else. I'll let myself out. I walked out of the house and down the steps as I answered the phone. Lieutenant Chambers. Josh, you need to come to the precinct. What's going on? Are you okay? No, Josh, I'm not. The body, the evidence, all of our work on Daisy Johnson is gone. What did Dr. Guff say? Dr. Guff is... I lost her. There was a disconnect on the line. I redialed her and went straight to voicemail. I hung up and dialed again. No answer. I got back to the precinct to find Dr. Guff. He didn't remember the conversation we had, nor did he remember the woman on the slab we talked about. All of the evidence, 
except for what I took with me to Mrs. Johnson's house, was gone. Poofed away like it was a cloud. I went to find Karen. She was drinking coffee at her desk like nothing had happened. I explained that she called me in a panic, and she told me the same thing Guff did. They didn't know what I was talking about. My commanding officer, Captain Graff, suggested I take some time off to recuperate. I had been stressed out lately because of the Childress case. This was bullshit. It was a cover-up and I knew it. My feeling is that he's in on it too. How far does this shit go in the bureaucracy? Mrs. Johnson was right all along. I wasn't going to be a moron and let them know that I knew what they were doing. I was going to buy my time. But trust me, if at some point in my life, I will find out what's really going on in Baltimore, even if it kills me.